All right, so uh, last week I, I did a, a basic introduction on what I um, was so blessed to have the Lord reveal to me um, as far as not just the focus of Joyland and us for the, this year, but, you know, we've, it wouldn't be impossible to say that we've been kind of between purposes with this last year. And I was setting aside the time between, before Christmas and up to New Year for the Lord to speak, and He so graciously did. And it was a long process, and it was wonderful, but it has to do with the focus of becoming like a child. And so um, we had talked a long time uh, ago, Luke, with our leaders, Richard and Jenna stuff, about you guys coming and making a presentation. And I didn't really remember when the time was, but honestly, I, 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 w I wept a little when I knew you were coming today because I just believe it's perfect. And hopefully some of you will see the, the timing, you know, on this for, for couple of amazing reasons. So anyway, are we overlooking our most basic identity? This is going to be something that you're going to grow weary of me talking about uh, as the weeks go on and months and so on. But um, Aeon, for, for the Aeon that I'm going to talk about this, yeah. He, he gave the power to become God's children. You guys know where this is. It's in the prologue to John. And so... I, uh, I, I do actually have a short message because I want to leave Luke plenty of time. Here's the question, and these are what I'm going to ask you tonight. I'm just going to ask you to consider these questions, and we're going to be looking at them and looking at them and looking at them, so you're not going to miss it if you forget one tonight. But is becoming God's child the primary gift of the incarnation? And if that question doesn't go make you go, huh, then, then I probably have it ask it slowly enough. <laughs> Because when you think about it, why did Jesus come? Why did the Father send Jesus? But why did Jesus come? So many times our, our answer revolves around the lostness of man, around sin, around the need for atonement or forgiveness or something along those lines. And I'm, I'm certainly, all of those are a part for sure. They're a part of the overall reason. But let's just read this for a second. This is out of David Bentley Hart's New Testament translation, if it sounds a little unfamiliar. He was in the cosmos, he being Jesus, the Word made flesh, right? Because this is just verse 10 of chapter 1 of John. So we've got, in the beginning was the Word, the Logos, and the Logos was with God. And, and uh, he was, the Word was made flesh. So in verse 10 it says, He was in the cosmos, and through him the cosmos came to be, and the cosmos did not recognize him. He came to those things that were his own, and they which were his own did not accept him. But to as many as did accept him, to them he gave the power to become God's children. To those having faith in his name, those born not from blood, nor from man's desire, but of God. Born of God. Born of God. Some translations say born from above, but born of God. Directly out from God is what that's talking about. Now this is the prologue. And so I ask the question again for you to think about. I think the answer, I'm growing to think the answer is definitively yes, but I think the answer is yes, that the primary gift of the incarnation of Christ is that we can become children of God. 
Now, there's a bunch of cool stuff that happened in, in the rest of John chapter 1. In John chapter 2, there's the cleansing of the temple. There's a lot of dialogue between Jesus and his disciples. There's the recognition that he's the bowl, the Lamb of God, all this kind of stuff by John the Baptist. Then in chapter 2, there's, uh, uh, there's the first miracle in the wedding of Cana. So I'm not saying that this is the only thing that happened after that prologue, but this is the first real definitive declarative teaching. Nicodemus, as you know, is a, a, a ruler in Judea, a, a priest. He came to Jesus by night. And I, I know I've heard a lot of people make fun of that because he was embarrassed or he was afraid or whatever the case, but, but he came. You know, he came. And I think Jesus took him seriously. So Nicodemus came to Jesus by night. And this man came to him at night and said to him, Rabbi, we know that you have come as a teacher from God, for no one can produce these signs you perform unless God is with him. Now, that's a pretty cool thing. So I'm willing to give Nicodemus the benefit of the doubt that he had watched and heard what Jesus was doing by this time. And he came not to not to try to manipulate or not to try to control or not because he was trying to, like, you know, a lot of times the Bible says they asked Jesus this or whatever so they could trick him. I don't think Nicodemus was doing that. He was, he was just going, hey, there's something going on here. It's a good thing. Now, I always find it fascinating. It's just a quirk of how I read the Scripture that when I hear that Jesus replied or said something, especially when he said it for the first time, and this is why I think it's important to me that this is the first sort of teaching response that Jesus did in the Gospels of John. So this first time, uh, this, this guy said, we know you're a teacher come from God, for no one can produce signs performed unless God's with him. And in reply, Jesus said to them, amen, amen. He says, for sure, you can take this to the bank, I tell you. Now, what could he have said? He could have said, well, glory to God. The Father's revealed that to you. Give him glory. That's what he said to, to Peter when he had his revelation. He could have said, well, praise God. That is why I've come. Thank you, Father, that you've opened the mind of this. You know, No, he didn't say that. He said this. He said, unless someone is born from above, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Cannot see. Conversation went on. Nicodemus said, and you could tell how, how this must have sounded, because he was asking a question about real birth. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he's old? And Jesus replied, amen, amen, again. I tell you, unless a man is born of water and spirit... He cannot enter into the kingdom of God. So his first teaching response to this good man, asking an earnest question about his own identity, Jesus' identity, was if you aren't born again, born above, you can't see the kingdom. And in this one, you can't enter it. And he said, don't be amazed because I have told you it is necessary for you to be born from above. Now, I talked to, you, to, to the ones that were here last week. We had a, a, some, we're still traveling and stuff. Um, and, and so this is a repeat uh, part of, of the message. And it's going to be repeated for a few times until we make a decision on how we feel about it. But there's very few things in Scripture that Jesus said, Amen, or verily, verily, or truly, truly, I say to you that if you don't do this, you can't. That we don't take seriously. I mean, he said, go and make disciples of all nations. We have discipleship schools and discipleship ministries and all kinds of things. You know? But I've never seen a school that was entitled and curriculumed 
a school of childlikeness. And I'm hoping to change that. I'm hoping to change that. Jesus said it straight up. Now, here's another passage. Now he's not talking to uh, a, a religious guy that's outside his circle, if that is such a thing. That would be something worth talking about. Uh, these are aspects that this child concept comes into play over. Calling a child forward. This is when his disciples said, which is going to be the greater in the kingdom of heaven? Matthew 18, 2 and 3. And calling a child forward, he stood the child in their midst and said, Amen, I tell you, unless you turn back and become his children, you most certainly may not enter into the kingdom of heaven. Now, we're going to come up with one more passage out of this in just a second before I get to you, Luke, because I want it to be the foundation for why we take seriously the work you guys are doing and the opportunity that it gives us here at Joyland. But, but that's just, so the idea again is entering and engaging in the kingdom. Jesus is saying, unless there's this transformation that goes on, a repentance, a turning, a turning back, a conversion, used different ways, you know, translations, uh, you won't enter the kingdom. Romans 8.14, how about how important this is to our identity? It says here, for as many as are led by God's Spirit, these are God's sons. The word for sons there is, is the huios word, and, uh, and that's important in just a second, and I'll explain why. For you did not receive again a spirit of slavery to fear, but rather received a spirit of adoption in which we cry, Abba, Father. So this whole idea of being adopted into the family of God, this whole idea of being born again, produces in us the cry, Daddy, Father, Abba, Father. And I started to see, and I want you to start to see, that the relationship, the reason that this emphasis is so cut and dried when Jesus says, unless you are converted and become as a child, you won't enter the kingdom. Unless you are born from above, not of the will of man, not of the, 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 the will of the flesh, but of God, you, you won't even see the kingdom. Because it says, we cry, Abba, Father, the Spirit itself testifying along with our spirit that we are God's children. So I want to suggest to you that I've spent a ton of time, because I'm a, a charismatic and a vineyard guy and a third wave guy and a joyland guy now, I've spent a ton of time preoccupied with sonship, and I think sonship is an amazing topic. But there is not a single person ever in creation that was a son without being a child. And the child is the more fundamental identity. And the reason the child is the more fundamental identity is because the father is the more fundamental identity. I had a chance and I was asked to share what my passion was uh, with uh, a group of pastors and leaders in the last couple of days and um, at Harold Eberle's Theology Roundtable. And so I, it was my slate to share this morning, and I shared this. And just before I started, we were talking about Danny Silk's stuff, Unpunishable, and one of the things that came out about the relationship between child and father and why punishment was never going to be effective being the primary form of transformation and discipline, it was a beautiful point made by a guy. I just was stunned by it. He said, you know, God was our father before he was our creator. And I know that runs afoul of some of your theology, uh, reformed-wise, and so on and so forth, because people say, oh, no, God made us, so he's our creator, but until you say the sinner's prayer, or until you're born again, and I'm going to come back to that in a second, until you're born again, uh, he's, you're not his child. But the truth of the matter is, the father was the father before he was the creator. 
For one, we know it because He created through Jesus Christ. He made everything through Him and nothing was made that hasn't been made. And the Word was the Son. So the Father was the Father before He was God the Creator. Now, this is just an introductory message, so you can chew on it however deeply you wish, but that's the truth. And so nothing has changed through creation or through the fall or through time. Nothing is going to change through eschatology that changes the fact that the most fundamental relationship between men and God is child and father. Here's one. The liberation of creation. This is one of the most beautiful promises and one of the most challenging ones if you want to take your faith and your spirit seriously because you know, you want to be the king and the priest. You want to be the one that, that, that's setting creation free from the curse. And so in Romans it says this, for our, the earnest expectations of creation anxiously awaits the revelation, again, of the sons of God. Oh, what I wanted to say about the son and the children, uh, the son, huios, very important as our identity and our status. God wants sons. We're predestined to be conformed to the image of his son. But even the image of his son is of a child. It is of a child. And I hope I can get you thinking in that direction a little bit. For creation was made subordinate to pointlessness, not willingly, but because of the one who subordinated in hope that creation itself will also be liberated from decay into what? In other words, what is the liberating agent and target of the plan of God that Paul is talking about here? The freedom of the glory of God's children. Not God's sons, not God's kings, not God's priests, not God's pastors, teachers, evangelists, pastors. Or I said that already. It's a double whammy for me. Do you see what I'm saying? This is something to think about. It is the glory of the children that provides the context and the destiny and the target of the freedom of creation. There is the miraculous hooked up with this stuff, guys. It's incredible. All right, Matthew 6 9. This is just one of my favorite ones. Uh, it's one of those first principle things. That the disciples asked Jesus, teach us to pray. And he could have said anything. Anything. He was there, you know, he could have said anything. He could have said, do this, do that, do the other. He did do some instruction, as a matter of fact. But when he got down to it, because he said, you know, don't make vain repetitions like the Gentiles and don't do your alms so people can see you. Because when your father, who sees in secret, He'll reward you. So he was right on the heart of this father-child thing. But then he says this. He says, pray this way. Our Father, who art in heaven, let your name be held holy. Let your kingdom come. The link between our prayers, the kingdom of God, and its advancement is based upon our relationship with God, not as an intercessor, not as a prayer warrior. And I'm not against those things. I'm just saying that we've assigned adult kind of values, and we've assigned sophisticated values to those sorts of principles. But the truth of the matter is, Jesus gave a specific insight. Pray this way, Daddy, our Father. Then the Spirit, of course, says, Abba, Father. And the unity that comes from that begins to shred the disunity that we live with so much of the time where we're trying to serve God. We're trying to figure out how to do the right thing. We're trying to figure out how to be priests and kings. There's never been a priest. There's never been a king that isn't a child. And there never will be. 
And, and Jesus, if, if we'll just take him a little bit seriously, unless you turn and become like a child, you won't enter the kingdom. Now, I don't think he's saying that because God's trying to keep people out of the kingdom. I think he's saying that because the kingdom belongs to such as these. You can't see it if you don't look at it through those eyes. We had a fantastic discussion on Tuesday about this. Some of you were in on that. But uh, I think it was you, Ronnie, that brought up the point that productivity or doing is something that children, you know, you don't think in terms of children doing stuff. That's kind of an adult quality. And I just felt like I had a little inspiration from the Lord. And I'm not saying that we don't have to think through all this stuff. And I'm not trying to disparage adulthood or maturity or anything along those lines. But I said, you know, I don't know any adults who could do this. But I do know some children who could slay two dragons before lunch, eat lunch, take a nap, and fly a spaceship into outer space and colonize a planet before dinner. And I don't think adults... Somehow we lose the realization. And if faith is the evidence of things, hope for in the substance of things unseen, then maybe the ability to slay those two dragons before lunch and take a nap is something that we need to, we need to see if we're going to see the way the kingdom really is. So anyway, uh, here's, here's another one. Uh, he therefore who will make himself small as this little child, this one is greater in the kingdom of heaven. In verse 5, he says, and whoever welcomes such a child in my name welcomes me. The culture and the society of the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of children, according to Jesus. Now, we have a lot of weird cultural elements going on in our, our nation right now in our culture. But it would seem to me that if the kingdom is comprised of children, for such uh, belongs to these, if we will turn and become like children and begin to believe what Jesus says about that and see the kingdom through the eyes of the people that are a part of the kingdom and in the kingdom and connected with the angels of the kingdom and so on, maybe we can invite somebody to respond like a child. And I don't see him here tonight. I was hoping he'd be able to be here, but we had a wonderful testimony after last week's introduction. Greg Collier. Uh, was driving as Uber, and a young man got in his van and was obviously distressed, and Greg said he was like on the verge of a nervous breakdown. And uh, he just talked to him a little bit, and he said, Larry, what we talked about, about God being our father, and us relating to his child, and him loving us in that way, he said it made the evangelism the easiest thing I had ever done. I just told him, I go, hey, I'm, I'm, I can guarantee you, Father looks at you like a child, and he loves you, and he knows what you're going through. And the guy says, I can believe that. <laughs> And his heart was transformed. Just boom. It was amazing. Amazing. So we'll see him probably. He's, uh, he's working to try to get here. All right. Now, this is one that, that, that I want you to think about. Uh, and I'm sure you've thought about it a thousand times, Luke. But I want us to think about it before Luke comes up and lets us know what Save the Storks does. See to it that you are not contemptuous of one of these little ones. For I tell you that their angels in heaven forever look upon the face of my Father in the heavens. These are words of Jesus. These could have all been those red letters, except you can't see it on a black background if you're having a hard time. Not only do we need to turn and become like children, we can't afford to be contemptuous of them. We can't afford to be dismissive of them. And so, uh, 
I'm going to go ahead one more. The, it's not just a New Testament, New Covenant phenomenon. You know, we, we've faced some terrifically challenging political and social occurrences in the last while. And I'm pretty sure Wednesday wasn't anybody's favorite day, and Thursday wasn't much better. But one of the reasons that we align ourselves to sometimes be disappointed is that we put our trust in the wrong things. And I'm not saying that we are or not. I'm still hanging on to the vision the Lord showed me. But loving children, saving children, being children is not a nursery school subset of God compared to big things like the government. Look at what this says. I didn't write this. For a child will be born to us, and a son will be given to us. And the government will rest on his shoulders. What does, does the foundation of the government in the eyes of God the Father look like when he foresaw it and released prophecy about it and made the redemptive plan to make it come to pass. It looked like something that would rest on the shoulders of a child that was born to us and a son that was given to us. Earlier, Jesus says, if you receive one of these little ones, you receive me. There's another place where he says that their angels view the face of God all the time. We cannot overestimate the central nature of the governing aspects of the kingdom of God in relationship to children. So I just think this passage in, in Isaiah is one of my favorite, obviously, because it's just beautiful. For a child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest upon his shoulders, and his name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. There will be no end to the increase of his government or his peace on the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and uphold it with justice and righteousness from then on and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will accomplish this. That's what we're praying for. That's what we're standing for when we stand for integrity in our government and elections. That's what we're standing for when we stand for revival and righteousness in our nation. And the thing that's going to make it happen, and I'm all for standing, and I am standing the best I can do, but the thing that's going to make it happen is not some uh, adult-like determination on my part. It's the zeal of the Lord of hosts who was the father before he was the creator. So let me go back. See to it that you are not contemptuous of one of these little ones. See to it that, that you don't despise one of these little ones. You know, there's another place in Scripture where they were bringing children to Jesus, and um, they were bringing children to Jesus, and, and the disciples were trying to shoo them away, and, and Jesus rebuked them. And again, this is just a plain revelation. And keep this in mind. Jesus said, I only do what I see the Father doing. So what was the Father doing while the disciples were trying to shoo the kids away from seeing Jesus? He was wanting them to come. Because that's why Jesus said, hey, let them come. I only do what I see the Father doing. All right. 
Uh, so there are three questions I just want to leave you with, and then Luke, I'm going to turn it over to you if you don't mind. And then uh, Vicky, there is a microphone right there. If you don't, if you don't mind, just slip it on, and, and they can help you put that on. Are we placing too little value on becoming a child? It's a question we're going to keep before us. So, yeah, Luke, you, just just put that over the back. There you go, just like that. And then that can go anywhere, and I'll show you the switch in just a second. Are we placing too little value on becoming a child? The next question is, are we creating a spiritual metaphor about the concept of being born again? Now, that's something we're going to have to work on. We're going to have to work on. If, if the primary gift of the incarnation of the Logos of the Father is the ability to, for us to be born of God and become like a child. We do not want to cloud that issue by making it a figure of speech that represents something else. And lastly, are we being robbed of the power to see and engage the kingdom? And for you guys, because I know you, let me ask the question this way. I know how your heart longs to lay hands on the sick and see them recover every time. I know how my heart and your heart longs to not think twice if somebody says, could you come pray for my son? He died. I know, I know how you feel about vision and about prophecy and about dreams. I know how you feel about leading people to Christ. Jesus, if it's legitimate to link this born-again act with what it naturally means, which is the production of a child. If you're born, you become a child. The end result of a birth is not a religious transaction and a ticket to heaven. The end result of a birth is a child. And are we robbing ourselves through neglect and through metaphor of that? Maybe.